0: i remember when they was it in eurozone in 2016 2015 they wrote that essay about the origins of human inequality and that had probably been three years into their process and it turned into a very different project that was just an essay that ended up becoming the introduction to this magisterial book right but you know i think as they lay out you know what they ended up doing and what they needed to do was to synthesize something that accounted for all the holes in the discourse um, in, in the in all the ways in which people lived life outside of narrow visions that adhered to, you know, 300, 400 year old um, articulations about what Western civilization and human civilization were supposed to be. You know, part of it was as they lay out, there wasn't language for it. You know, what the fuck do you call, a city a lot of the cities you know it wouldn't make sense to call some of these early cities egalitarian in the not not because there were there weren't efforts to try to achieve some form of equality but it was because of how different the methods in which they organized their cities were right a lot of them were experiments to and just building a grand design a grand spectacular place for people to live some of them had neighborhood assemblies right some of them um had these were centered around these mega sites. Some of them had temples, finding ways to talk about things that didn't fit notions that were developed for wrongheaded, incomplete, uh, reactionary conceptions of what human beings were doing. Required a lot of work on their part to construct alternative ways of understanding, thinking through, and talking about these things, avoiding or thinking through more clearly about what democracy or republic or civilization meant, unfurling the historical baggage around them, being clear and, dis- and defining and laying out some of the stakes and, and, and the history of the anthropology behind it, the history of some of the imperialism behind it, the ideological shortcomings, where it was problematic. All of this was required to, to also give people the space to really think through these new examples, these fascinating examples, right? You know, and, and and as they, you know, kind of lay out, you know, the work here all lends itself to this sort of revisionist account where you're abandoning a lot of the language in which we talk about civilization and humanity because it's not the right way to talk about humanity and civilization, right? Because it ignores a lot of the evidence, because it comes from racist backgrounds and eugenicist backgrounds, because it um, didn't know about the possibilities, uh, or the other social possibilities that were pursued in various time frames. It, it, it's a move, it's a move, as they said. A man asking, for instance, what happens if we accord significance to the 5,000 years in which serial domestication did not lead to the emergence of pampered aristocracy, standing armies, or debt peonage rather than just the 5,000 in which it did? What happens if we treat the rejection of urban life or of slavery in certain times and places as something just as significant as the emergence of those same phenomenon in others? In the process, we have often found ourselves surprised. We'd never have guessed, for instance, that slavery was most likely abolished multiple times in history in multiple places, and that very possibly the same is true of war. Obviously, such abolitions are rarely definitive. Still, the periods in which free or relatively free societies existed are hardly insignificant. In fact, if you bracket the Eurasian Iron Age, which is effectively what we have been doing here, they represent the vast majority of human social experience. Right? And this is, you know, sort of the really affirming message here that this gives us tools. This not only gives us the examples of things to think through that are social possibilities that are alternatives to what we have now, but also language to reject how the slippery slope of returning back to this rigid thinking about the inevitability of domination and coercion and, and hierarchy, right? And 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 using the new language to not just understand the past, but expand our sense of the of the present. And enrich our imaginations about the future and what can happen. You know, I, I, I think it would be fun to maybe quote or end on their quote where they talk about how, quote, no doubt for at least a while, very little will change. All fields of knowledge, not to mention university chairs and departments, scientific journals, prestigious research grants, libraries, databases, school curricula, and the like have been designed to fit the old structures and and the old questions. Max Planck once remarked that the new scientific truths don't replace old ones by convincing established scientists that they were wrong. They do so because proponents of the older theory eventually die. And generations that follow find the new theories and truths to be familiar, obvious even. We are optimists. We like to think that it will not take that long. In fact, we have already taken a first step. We see more clearly now what is going on when, for example, a study that is rigorous in every other respect begins from the unexamined assumption that there was some original form of human society, that its nature was fundamentally good or evil. That a time before inequality and political awareness existed, that something happened to change all this, that civilization and complexity always come at the price of human freedoms, that participatory democracy is natural in small groups but cannot possibly scale up to anything like a city or nation state. We know now that we are in the presence of myths. And that's where the fun begins.